Welcome all to Take Your Seats, where we review sci-fi movies, mostly with a different guest every time. I am your host, John Aitken, and co-hosting is my good friend and Take Your Seats overtly sensual pin-up icon, Sucky Cack. Hello, Sucky. Yes, can you see me pausing? Yeah. Right, right. That's lovely in here. Thank you, thank you for that. Well, you know, I'm trying to get kinder every time. I, at some point, I'm going to just say something absolutely awful in that segment, and you're going to hate me forever. But I'm going well, to take you know, the risk. Do it. Do it next time. Well, I'll yeah, see what I will. I will do. In this I episode, like, I, I feel like ending this podcast soon. Wow. Wow. Now's the time uh, to tell us. Yeah. Right on. Right on the recording. Brilliant. No, no, no. Are you finished with your griping? In this no. episode, no, he's not finished. In this episode, we will be reviewing Gattaca. Let's have a trailer. In the not-too-distant future, our DNA will determine everything about us. A minute drop of blood, saliva, or a single hair determines where you can work who you should marry, what you're capable of achieving. In a society where success is determined by science, divided by the standards of perfection, one man's only chance... How do you expect to pull this off? I don't know exactly. ...is to hide his own identity. This is the last day that you're going to be you and I'm going to be me. ...by borrowing someone else's. Congratulations. What about the interview? That was it. Do you think you'd be doing what you're doing if it wasn't for who you are, what you are? I have a feeling you might be there under false pretenses, playing somebody else's hand. They've got my picture plastered up all over the place. They'll recognize me. They won't recognize me. They'll recognize me. I don't recognize you. They won't believe that one of their elite could have suckered them all this time. They are going to find me. But in a place where any cell from any part of your body can betray you, how do you hide? When we all shed 500 million cells a day. Ethan Hawke, Uma Thurman, welcome to Gattaca. And joining us for this is Steve Davis. Welcome, Steve. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, really well. Really well. Thank you. Yes, yeah, a little overworked and uh, underpaid. Well, I'm not underpaid. I'm paid very well, thanks. But uh, overworked, <laughs> certainly. Uh, You'll find anything yeah, to complain no, about. All, it's fine. All the better for being in your company again. You're acceptably remunerated. That's always good. My um, unions do a good job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only. So, uh, Gattaca, why did you pick this film? It was one of the first films that uh, the current Mrs. Davis and I went to watch at the cinema together. The uh, current uh, so Mrs. Davis. <laughs> oh, oh, dear, the Sarah. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, well, it's been it's been twenty five years, so I figured it's uh, yeah, we, we've done all right. 
Um, and uh, yeah, we went to the cinema to see it together in the what late nineties, and mm. um, really, really loved it. And it's one, it's one of the ones that stuck in my head since then. I haven't watched it loads in the intervening years, but it, it just just stayed there and mm. uh, occupied a happy corner of my mind. So, is it uh, the subject matter that grabs you, or is it the style of it? Or I really like films that make me think and then make me reconsider what I thought and then think about it again. I, I, I love a debate in, uh, in, in re the real world and I love a bit of an internal debate as well. Uh, mm. So I think mostly it's the ideas, uh, the, the themes, the morals, the ethics within it that, that I really like. I happen to think it is a very well-made film as well, um, mm. but it's, in terms of what, what grabs me, it was the, uh, yeah, the, the ideas it contained. Cool. Suki, what's your position on this movie? This, my position, I've never seen this movie before. I've, I've heard about it and I knew about it like for years and years, but it's one of these films that I've never never thought I'd be watching. It just didn't seem to grab me. Now, having watched it, right, it's a really good film. It's, you know, it's it's at a very, it's a sort of slow pace, but that sort of also absorbing, right, and you just get in, in with the, um, you get sucked in by the characters and Ethan Hawke is just brilliant all the way through mm. this. What about you, John? Well, ostensibly, I'm I'm with you guys on it's a good film. I like the the thought processes involved. I like the questioning of like the morality of it all, the sort of eugenic side of it, and and sort of how that would impact society. That's an interesting side of it. The part that I was I struggled mostly with was Ethan Hawke and his love interest thing that. I tried to get behind, but I found nothing in it to grab hold of. John, when you when you say his love interest, who do you mean? Because I think there's two love stories in this film, uh, both involving Ethan Hawke. All right, so uh, okay, I, I would say Uma Thurman. Yeah. She is uh, that I, their relationship. I struggled with. I so I I struggled to figure out what either side liked about the other person. That was yeah. it. However, yeah. Jude Law's character and Denise uh, Hawk, it's like you can understand that relationship a little bit better. You can understand Jude Law's position, how he's wanting to vicariously just embrace the stuff that he was originally genetically intended for, and he's using Ethan Hawk for that, and, and a bit of company, I'm sure, as well. So, Sucky, what do you reckon? Well, I I can I can understand. I can see the position between Jude Law's character and Ethan Hawk and the way they've come to sort of rely on each other and they need each other to be able to do their help, get their goals. Jude Law needs Ethan Hawke to be able to provide him with the way he's always lived his life and Ethan Hawke just needs everything uh, from Jude Law to be able to get his goal of going into space. Now, the, the thing with Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke, that seemed to come out of nowhere. I mean, they might have been work colleagues for a number of months, years, whatever, but then it seemed to just come out of nowhere, and I can see, um, I can see a little bit of a spark, but not that much as to why they suddenly she gets very interested in him mm. and come together. Now the thing is, on screen there doesn't seem to be that much of a, for <laughs> me personally, doesn't seem to be that much going on between them. But off screen, obviously, they were together yeah. for after this film for about eight years, <laughs> two kids married, they got married, yes. yeah. yeah. So there must have been something going on behind the screen, behind the screens a bit for them, but on screen, it just seems a bit um, yeah. icy towards each other. I don't know if this is the way these 
people are sort of brought up to be a bit aloof uh, because they are the elite and they just don't look at other people in the same sort of way but it mm. just come across as a loop between each other and it just I couldn't see the relationship Steve? Uh, yeah I think I think that's true uh, but although I think that's probably the point as well you know this is a society where you, you squash your feelings you're you're professional you're born for greatness you fulfill your role it's quite utilitarian isn't it here's your role it's mapped out for you at birth mm. you're going to achieve these things you better get on with it there's no joy in it is there and, uh, and, and you know, a relationship that begins with gene testing your potential partner <laughs> is, is going to be a pretty cold and uh, logical one, isn't it? Yeah, Rather yeah. than one based around passion. And I think probably, I think probably that's deliberate in terms of the way they're trying to tell the story. I think you're right. It makes it probably less uh, um, enjoyable, believable, satisfying as a relationship for, for us, me, watching it. Yeah. Uh, but I think it does then contrast nicely with the very real uh, friendship, relationship, love between um, Jude Law and, and, and Ethan Hawke in the way that they are. Yeah, they're symbiotic, aren't they? Mm. It's a, for me, it's a little bit like you know, those two have got the kind of the, the long-standing, almost a marriage maybe, totally dependent on each other, meshed together. Uh, whereas the the Uma Thurman Ethan Hawke relationship is kind of a bit more ephemeral, isn't it? It's a bit more mm. yeah, like teenage love. How do we how do we express ourselves? How do we get over this way that we've been brought up to actually have a, a loving relationship? Um, and and yeah, maybe if the film if the story wasn't progressing the way it was, if you give that relationship time, maybe they do start to break the barriers down a bit yeah. and become more honest with each other. I think you see the beginnings of that in the film. Don't you, you do. Uh, the striking thing about um, for me about the whole presentation of it really is that you uh, it's sit in the near future mm. it's kind of idealized uh workplace scenario it's I, I don't quite understand how it's ideal for everybody to be stuck in a room in an open office because that's currently what we do we're not perfect yeah. at it and we don't find any joy in doing that yeah. so yeah it seems very sterile yeah it's the uh, almost every kind of I don't know. Maybe this is dystopian. I think it probably is. Oh, all yeah, these sort of definitely. yeah, all these dystopian futures involve yeah, banks of anonymized people, mm. where you know there's no yeah, there is no joy in it, is there? I, I contrast that with the janitors and that that sort of Ernest Borgnine relationship thing mm. going on, where there's a bit of yeah, a bit of bit of humour, a bit of joy, and then you know if you're successful, you get to sit in a desk all day and make no conversation with with anybody. You know, and, that, I think that's part of the message, isn't it? And all their clothing is very. Similar. Nazi? Yeah. yeah. Don't be so, would I be alright in saying that? Because it feels like it's very uniform It's all the similar styles and, and I don't know whether I'm, I'm seeing too much into that but it seems authoritarian. The whole system seems very authoritarian. See, the, the, they've got this goal, well, uh, Ethan Hawke's character has, he's got a goal of going into space. Now, most of the time, all we see him do He's actually just sitting at a cube keyboard, and I've not seen do that much space training at all. So yeah. I, I just don't understand why he thinks giving it, why, why he decide he wants to go with this goal when he doesn't seem to be having any sort of training. Mm. Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that's it's a good point, isn't it? There's not that bit in there, is there? I guess maybe you're meant to assume that this uh, this is a very esoteric activity. You know, this isn't the you know the '60s NASA guy, the guys with the right stuff all that stuff this is you know, thinking programming uh, and uh, very coldly getting yourself into space 
and uh, and and the joy and the passion he's gone from it. That's why. But ironically, of course, deliberately, that's what drives Vincent, uh, Ethan Hawke's character, Vincent. That's what drives him. That passion. He's got to squash that and pretend that isn't there. But that's what's firing him. Um, and and and. But you don't get to see any of that unless he's with Jude Law, uh, or, or latterly in the film with uh, Irene, the, the Uma Thurman character. You don't get to see that bit because you know you can't you can't enjoy yourself if you want to be doing a proper career. It can't be fun. It must be very, very thought through and professional. I mean, you're being sarcastic, but I'm going to clip that little bit of vocals and I'm going to. Uh, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, well, well, first... it's interesting. Yeah, Sorry, go for it. It was interesting to me because I'm in a, uh, I'm a head teacher at a school, right? So um, for me, it's always interesting about you know how much of the decisions that you make in doing stuff are about the practicalities of just you know, managing from A to B to C, because that stuff needs doing, mm -hmm. and how much is it about the passion, the joy, the, the reason for doing what we're doing. Um, and, and, and there's always a compromise between that. You'd like it to just be about the joy, but then nothing ever gets done. So, you know, the risk is you make it all about the managerialism, the A to B to C stuff, like, like we see in Gattaca. And okay, you might get stuff done, but you lose the point of it. You know, we achieve it for what? <laughs> what was the purpose of that? That's sterility again. Yeah. Uh, I think also, well, I'm Department of Education. That's my job. So, you, you? you lot are all, you know, subservient to me. I am the boss in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> as it should be, John. As it should be. Well, it's it's interesting as well that that, that murder uh, scenario as well that is in there, and yeah. the boss is the one that does it late on in life. I mean, I'm presuming genetically people are living longer and longer and longer. Yeah, and when yeah. that happens, at some point you're going to think, well, fuck it. If I if I want to do something, yeah. I'm going to make it happen. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, and, and there's there's one of the messages, isn't it? You know, you, if you're going to fiddle about with all this stuff with the eugenics and, and, and gene manipulation and all that stuff, there's going to be a price to pay. You know, mm. we're not we're not designed to live forever. Um, and if we do, then something's going to break. I think is one of the messages of it because because the Tony Shalhoub character, the the, the guy who um, sort of sells the relationship between Jude Law and and yeah. Hawk, he basically says when he's when he's explaining. Um, Jerome's character so this guy's never going to die you know, he's got the heart of an ox he can run through a wall and you kind of think wow but that's kind of what makes us human isn't it knowing that we've only got a limited amount of time and you've know, got to make the most yeah. of it that's, that's, that's one of the things that defines us isn't it yeah absolutely well, you, you, uh, I said, last time I came on we had this conversation as well because it was yes. Star Trek 5 I did and uh, <laughs> that was one of the things with mortality and what we do with it and, I'm yeah, seeing uh, a lot of uh, comparisons between that and uh, this choice of movie as well Steve I'm, I'm getting an insight into you I think that's what we're doing <laughs> um, my first comment is any film with Ernest Borgnine and he's, he's okay with me he, yes, he he's an yeah. absolute legend as soon as he's on screen yeah. I know he never he's never he rarely plays um, the star of any any film he's in, yeah. but he just he's just recognisable and the compassion that he can put on his face, and that kind of little relationship between him and um, likewise the Doctor as well. Yeah, oh, and him knowing, I, I think Ernest Borgnine I knew everybody's supporting this tacitly, um, yeah. in some way that is nice. But at the core of that, I have, and this is another negative. I don't want to particularly dwell on negatives, but. Ethan Hawke's motivations and his single-mindedness of drive, none of that makes me like him. I don't mm. know if that's my perspective or is it anybody else's? Is it, is it because he's that hard, that driven, that he wants to get... 
achieve his goal and he just comes across as slightly unlikable I personally didn't see that myself I could see I could just see him as cold uh, uh, on the screen just very cold but likeable unlikable I I think it depends on the scene and I think it it probably depends on which uh, whether he's being Vincent or Jerome I think Vincent's very likeable I think when he's in his genuine authentic self I think he's very likeable you know he's he's having to he's having to fight the system he's uh, he's got emotion he's got passion you know the um, uh, the the bit where uh, um, uh, Jerome was T- uh, it contaminated all the urine samples with drink, and he's trying to get to his interview on time. And yeah, these three of them don't uh, don't pass the drugs test, and then yeah. one eventually does. That's, he's, you know, you just you feel for him, man. You, you think, come yeah. on, you do all bit. My tie won't go on. I can't do machines out here. Uh, I think there he's really likable, um, but when he's having to be Jerome, no, he's 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 so driven as to be um, you know, not a real person at all. No, I think I saw this film years ago. However, it's only just clicked to me as I was writing my notes. I've written, I've only just got it, Gattaca. It's G A T T A C C A. Yeah. Yeah. And in it's, the credits, um, they they bring out all the letters. Oh, I never, from... I never got to the credits. I never do. I was turned what, off the beginning? at the end. No, no, oh, the in the end. Must have been writing my notes. Because the G A C T, the um, the letters, they mm. appear on the actors' names first when they're coming up on the credits. I so Uma Thurman, the A. Yeah. The A's come out. I mean, those opening credits are fantastic because you get all the big nail clippings being dropped down, and the when he's like scouring himself. Yeah. And, and the first time I saw the film, you're sort of thinking, "Well, what's going on here?" But the next week, when you watch it again, you realise, "Crikey, these are the steps this yeah. guy has to go through every day." I mean, it's painful, it's time-consuming, it's fiddly. I mean, brilliant. I, I think yeah, that's, so- that's, he's being so driven is maybe one of the reasons I don't particularly like him. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the that really opening like. scene is that opening scene that Steve uh, mentioned. That was it was a really memorable scene. It's the fact that you see all these body parts just falling on the floor, and you, you don't actually know what he's doing until a bit yeah. later on when he's actually in the building and he's uh, using his thumbprint, he's the uh, having a wee and all that yeah. stuff, and you think, oh, that's what he's putting on that little pack on his leg and that's mm. what he's doing that All right. but then you got to the, the point we're going on about the doctor uh, played by Xander Berkeley now this guy has probably known for a while that uh, Ethan Hawke's character Vin- Vincent is, is a, an invalid but yeah. he hasn't ratted him out because he, of the way he wants his son to be brought up so there's always these people that, that will champion a lost cause that's probably the same with the Ernest Borgnine's character, as John said. These guys, they, they, all these people, they just want to be able to help the the underdog, and this is what mm. they do. We would, we would, I guess, in our current world, call them allies, right? People who are willing to build up and support um, the the underclass, the underprivileged, you know, the people who don't get the entitlement that everybody else does. Yeah. And and I guess twas ever thus, but but um, certainly one of the different things that I got from my viewings this time after a few years is just how much that kind of chimes nowadays doesn't it you know the the system is stacked against invalids you know the 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 privilege is is entirely with other people and you, you get to see that system from you know perhaps a, an unusual but a powerful point of view i mean you do get a voiceover during this which again however the voiceover does specifically say that that discrimination is illegal 
and yet it happens. And I, I got a very this is one of the, the good things about sci-fi, especially this type of sci-fi, is that if we can relate to it, I mean, some things you can't relate to, they're just so esoteric, but if you can relate to it, you do feel more for the character, you feel more for the, the whole film. The, the discriminatory bit, right, you've got, there's that scene where they go and just line up all the invalids, yeah. invalids, right? And this is the same sort of thing they would do in previous times in you know where they just lined up all these people just based on their colour uh, it's happening uh, still even though it's still happening yeah so this is sort of it does uh, yeah it does uh, in the film it does seem to uh, tie back to what's happening now yeah, and the whole thing about um, having to give a, a, a drug sample at an interview in the film, so that yeah, there's no there's no uh, discrimination. It's illegal. But by the way, we'd like you to give a drug sample. We're not testing your genome. With it. Of course, we're not. Uh, we are. <laughs> and that, and you think, well, nowadays that's a bit like yeah, there've been studies, haven't there, about you know names on application forms that get passed through to the next phase for interview, and names that don't get passed through yeah, yeah. for interview. And, and you think, well, it's the same thing. It's, you know, and that's why I love sci-fi. It, can, it holds a mirror up to that. You know, it, it, it allows you to look at a, a, a real problem from a, a slightly unusual perspective. So it kind of takes a lot of the um, personal stuff out of it and makes you think, yes, in principle, I am against this. And then it makes you go, oh, but hang on, that's sort of happening now. And I haven't been particularly vocal against that now. So why would I have been really against it if it's about gene testing? which is not real in our world, sort of, at the moment, but I wouldn't be standing up against it in other things that are happening now. Yeah, you know, that, That's why I think sci-fi helps make the world a, a better place, if you're willing to listen to it. Absolutely. The um, There is such a lot of... I mean, I, I've written, I'm not sure I like any character, is what I've written. I'm not sure I like any character, but the detective, Alan Arkin. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, I think it probably is just Alan Arkin that I like. Rather than his actual well, character, but Alan Arkin, uh, as is his character, he seems to be uh, the old school, which is just yeah. it's it's always going to be the invalid, the invalid, mm. right, and just go for them, and he's not going to uh, look anywhere else. Whereas the the other guy, uh, the, the brother, Anton, which was yeah. which was a surprise actually, I did not see that coming. I, I saw it coming. Did you? Think, okay. Uh, I didn't know. Not, I didn't not long before, but when he was staring at the screen, I'm thinking, is, that, is he doing that because he's his brother? Which made total sense. It didn't, I didn't understand how they didn't recognise one another. Well, so I, I forgot, and on when I watched it for this uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I forgot. Sarah remembered, and I said, and I leaned over to her, having forgotten. I said, "There's something about the the senior detective, isn't it? Because normally it's the mm. the older detective yeah. who's like the grizzled old, and he's always getting it right, and then the senior detectives getting it wrong. But in it." In this scenario, kind of the the, the more um, senior detective is kind of right, and the grizzled old detective is kind of wrong until you remember that he's his spoiler that he's his brother, and then you think, well, is he trying to then put the other guy off the scent, or is he trying to catch Vincent, or is he not? I couldn't decide whether he was actually genuinely trying to catch Absolutely. Vincent or whether he was trying to leave him leave him be. But the thing is, did you? I couldn't didn't know that Vin, the the older the the younger the brother was trying to catch him because I didn't know if he knew that his his Vincent was actually working there, right? So I mean he must have come into the scenario after the boy the person had been buried. But how does he know that Vincent's working there to be able to divert the case somewhere else? 
Well, because presumably, you know, when they find the eyelash and it goes, it gets through the, the Hoover thing and it comes up with the picture on the screen. Oh. And Anton, the detective, is looking at that point. Presumably, it came up with Vincent's name at that point. Because later on, when the Alan Arkin detective says, well, we got that hit, I'll check out his family details. Anton then says, no, no, don't worry, I've done that, it's fine. You know, sorted all that out. Mm. So, in other words, puts him off Vincent's scent, I, th I think. You could... Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right there. It's, you a, it's a little bit crazy how, in the near future, they've not mastered photographs, because the, uh, the ID card photos for everybody yeah. were absolutely terrible. I mean, I'm sure I've seen them in similar quality of graphics in 1983. <laughs> do you think they took a... Did they do a picture of Jude Law and made him look like Ethan Hawke a bit more, oh, or a picture of Ethan Hawke and made him look a bit like Jude Law a bit more on that uh, ID card? I couldn't decide. It's, I can't decide either, but it definitely doesn't look like either of them particularly. No. <laughs> It just looks like it look, looks like one of the sh the shots that you see in the barber shops when you walk in there, and you yeah. see the this the hair side I want. That's it. There. That might be a little bit why I didn't like Ethan Hawke. <laughs> I thought just because uh, that... it looked like a model he was playing. Yeah. <laughs> he was trying to play an imperfect person, yeah. uh, genetically or whatever, and he just looked fantastic. It's just. <laughs> what? So I think I think that's definitely one of the problems. I think the biggest problem with it plot-wise is that, so hang on, they can do genome manipulation and sequencing. They can put um, meet people on their way to Mars and Saturn and Titan or whatever, but they haven't got the medical science to fix a broken back. Is that mm, yes. really? Yes, exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. Um, so that seems a bit weird, but, but with the with the Ethan Hawke bit you were saying about yeah I don't find him likable he's not got the chance to be likable has he he's not he's no. he's he's having to fight he's having to fight all the time just to exist almost, or or rather at least to have the existence that he wants to have uh, and 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 when you're having to fight that all the time you're probably not very likable it's the whole I guess a bit like the whole uh, Malcolm X thing isn't it you know you, you, you just got got to be a bit of a bastard sometimes to get mm. if you're not given a fair go then you know you can't be nice or likable or pleasant mm. you just got to go for it. So, you're hearing this, Sucky. Taking it on board, are we? Yes, John, I am. Right. Thank you. What did, uh, I mean, <laughs> thank you for that, Sucky. Um, the, at the end of the film, mm. there is a swim-off. I don't know how mm. to describe it. And I don't, uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure, I, logically, the, getting to that point, I'm not sure that the gap between him finding out it's his brother and all that and then let's have a swim to decide this where does yeah. that work in my head <laughs> I mean Honestly. I don't have a brother so I, know, I, I have no idea how realistic or otherwise that is you, either of you two got brothers yep and yeah. that's absolutely not realistic yeah, <laughs> yeah I've got what three and I, I wouldn't challenge you to swim thumb, just to uh, settle the point it's, it was made for some uh, some nice graphic made for some nice yeah. imagery yeah. And it also allowed for the kind of key line of the film, which is why I never expected to come be able to come back, which is highlighting uh, his character, Vincent's sort of... the fact that he's not expected, and he has to go above and beyond. Yeah. Um, yeah, and but I, I thought getting... We can resolve this by having a swim-off kind of thing just broke me a little bit. What would you do then with your brothers if you had a, like an argument that needed resolving? What would you do? Not talk to him. Walk out or talk to him. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, we'll talk to him. I, I don't just think I, I don't think I particularly say right. Come on, let's go down to the boxing 
thing and let's have a punch up. And it's just, oh, <laughs> let's do this, let's have a competition. Yeah. I just felt well, that it wasn't great. But back there's when that we, whole. Sorry, I was just going to say, back when we were kids, I would have a punch up. Right? I would, because I, I was the eldest, I'd be able to, I'd be able to knock the living wow. shit out of them. Well, because I was the eldest, I could do that. What a now, bastard. They're all the same sort of height, uh, weight. <laughs> I'm not going to take them on. I'll just, I'll just walk them on. But I found, it quite, I found it quite disappointing that the Anton, that Anton's saying, right, I could still beat you. And mm. he, it's like determined to think that he could win the argument. And and it goes against the idea of, right, right these people have been genetically mm. enhanced or whatever. Presumably, psychologically, mentally, they're also more... Their mental acuity is going to be beyond the people that have not. And yet, that that's his resolution. That's hard, very emotionally driven. Hard disagreeing with you there. I think that that's the whole point of the film. That yeah, there is no gene for the human spirit. That that um, entitlement and uh, the gifts that you're given at birth will get you so far physically and maybe even mentally, intellectually. But if you're just determined to work harder and be more uh, resolved on something, if you want it more, um, that. That can make it up. Make that can make up the difference. That can get you that further, that further distance that you need to get to. And I think that's the point. You know, there's there's a whole world of, of varieties of humans out there. Some of them are smarter. Some of them are taller. Some of them, and some of them just want things more. And and you can get there in all sorts of valuable ways. But to just take out one of those attributes to say that you know you, you're what you are as a person doesn't matter in terms of your your skills. It's all prescribed for you at birth. I don't think that 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 is, and it's true, and I don't think it's something that would be a moral from a film. This is a very moralistic film, and I think if he had, if Anton had won that race, there, which maybe physically he should have been able to do, that undermines the whole point of the film, isn't it? That that if you want it, you can do it. If you work no, harder. No, my point was more that Anton's decision that that was the way to resolve it was right. a childish decision for an adult to make. Yeah, well, and, and it may, maybe in a way, the, one of the reasons these characters aren't perhaps likable to some is they are quite childish. You know, mm. these are these are children emotionally. They haven't had to um, kind of be grown ups because it's all been prescribed for them. You know, you don't have to make big decisions about mm. your life because it's all written on a bit of paper the moment you're born. You know, it's mm. like it's like having well teenagers, I suppose, isn't it? Think they own the world but actually know nothing about it and they need guidance and to be told and helped with making the right choices. But if you but I think them, a lot of the characters in these are children. But if you guide them and help them, they immediately resent you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Except win. Ernest Borgnine, who's amazing. Yeah, and just, yeah. Everyone's dad. Great, but it. you've got to go back to the race that Jude Law changes his whole life with in the way uh, that he, because he comes second, he's now, th he's all just thinking he should have done better. But then every person that would have been in that race would have thought they're going to be finishing first, right? It's always going to be a society that would have got full of people that think they're going to be winners, going to be the top of the pile. But everybody has to lose except for that one person. And how do you deal with that afterwards? But if well, you're... Yeah, well, quite. And hence the bit about Anton going, right, well, let's have another race. He lost that race when they were, you know, the last time they met. And now that's that's his only failure in life. Well, bloody hell, I'm going to fix that now. Let's have another race. What a childish thing to do. I lost last time. I'm going to get my own back now. Mm, uh, and that's yeah. pro even though I'm a, I don't know how old are they, mid-20s, hard to tell, 30 maybe. 
you know, I'm, I'm a, as a mid twenties year old grown adult, I'm going to challenge you to a swim off. You're right, it's childish, and uh, but 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 indicative of what happens if you have been brought up to never fail. Yeah, and you got like also the sport bit with Jude Law. You could say it's also sport with Jude Law in that because he lost instead of you know thinking I'm going to do what Ethan Hawke would have done, try 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 again. But he decides he's going to just going to end his life and jump by jumping in front of the car, right? <laughs> Therefore, change changing the whole future of his life anyway. Yeah, broke him, didn't it? Just come. I mean, I'm assuming it was the, whatever the equivalent of the Olympics was. Silver medal. Crikey, you're the second best in the world at what you do out of how many billions of people, and you see that as a failure. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Well, I think that's. I mean, we see that all the time as sports mm. people currently. If they're the reason they're at the top of their game is because that they feel they're entitled to win, and everything that's less than that is is a, is a failure of some level, mm. and they're unable to accept that. And, and I guess in the same way that, that why the, the director, uh, Gore Vidal director character, ends up bashing that guy's head in. You know, it looks like he's going to stop him from getting what he wants. Well, I'll just do your head in with a very flimsy looking keyboard. I have to say, I didn't buy that. <laughs> that, that keyboard would have uh, you know, done the level of damage that it did. <laughs> You'd have thought genetic lead has also meant slightly, you know, yeah. less able to be beaten by a flimsy plastic keyboard. But... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But if they're also genetically enhanced, they might have super strength. Yeah. yeah, maybe it's a genetically enhanced keyboard. Oh my god, we're reaching realms that I never thought we'd get to in this one. Um, have we got any uh, final thoughts on this movie? I was just this very evening chatting to Sarah, and it suddenly struck me that I don't think this film has a bad guy. There's no villain in this film, is there? There's there's no guy who's who's fundamentally wrong who's trying to antagonize things the there's state, just people going about their role in the system the state is and the system is the antagonist mm. is in this mm. one isn't it mm. yeah. so i thought it, it hadn't struck me at the time it was only when i was chatting about it i thought yeah no there's no there's no character who's the baddie i mean that may that may have been one of the real one of the reasons why i felt so such a disconnect from this film it's like it's like uh it's like there's two sides to this film it's the there's the um, the message and the, the sci-fi, the environment, but just the characters within that and their acting, it felt a little bit stylistically vacuous. Two words I didn't realise I was going to put in front of each other there. I think they should put that on the poster. It's just a bit stylistically vacuous. It looked nice though, and there's some beautiful beautiful uh, shots yeah. and directions. And oh, that was a tickety-boo, but... Yeah. yeah, I just felt a little bit. It felt a little bit soulless. But the uh, the the location stuff that um, that was used there wasn't all futuristic building. These are old old buildings, and they just because they, the way they were built, they just looked futuristic. But they were really old buildings. That's all. Most of the locations were just suited. Now I want to know um, actually, is that that place where Uma Thorman takes um, Ethan Hawke? That uh, solar panel place. Is, is, that was solar panels, wasn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. a real place. place. Yeah, it's yeah. a real place. Yeah, solar panel farms. Yeah. All oh, right. Especially but, in yeah. California. Yeah. But it was massive and, and uh, very dramatic, wasn't it, with the old uh, the panels twisting in for the sun and uh, but and then of course him not being able to see properly. Oh, lovely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, I've just got to say how much I disagree with you, John. That it's got no soul. I think it is, it is all soul. It's no, quiet, tortured soul, but it's, it's all no, soul. No, I, I agree with you there. I just think, I think, I didn't feel 
a connection with that soul, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get that. Mm. Uh, whereas it, it kind of sang to me because I'm a, maybe because I'm a quiet, tortured soul. I don't know, but it, it was like, yeah, these these things these things really matter. You know, these these thoughts, these morals. Uh, you know, a, a modern fairy tale almost. Absolutely, but I I, I just feel like I I couldn't gel with it a little bit. <laughs> I could tell that Steve's got a quiet, tortured soul. Yeah. Comes through on the audio. Oh, yes. wow. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think I think it's called a faux extrovert. I think that's what it is. Inside, I'm crying. Oh right. Oh. Inside, we're all crying, Steve. Inside, <laughs> we're all crying. And on that message, <laughs> uh, Suki. Yeah, I've got a couple of things. Um, of course, the budget was thirty-six million. 36 million, but the box office is only 12 and a half. It was released in the same year as Titanic and all these other films, big budget films that were just sucked up all the year, uh, the revenue. Uh, so it didn't really. Uh, or was it not a great film? I don't know. Reviews don't know. were mixed for the film. Right? Some, there was a lot of good reviews, but there was also mm. quite a few negative ones. Um, the It was originally called The Eighth Day. But a film was released in the same year called The Eighth Day, so that's why they've changed it to Gattaca, which is a shame. Uh, it was nominated for Best Art Direction, uh, and that was the only Academy Award nomination it, it got. It was a beautiful film, no yeah. doubt about that at all. And guess what it lost to? Titanic. Titanic, yes. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Nichol went on to uh, write quite a few films and direct quite a few, but his most best known one is uh, The Truman Show wrote and produced that uh, we've also had similar dystopian ideals he did, yeah, yeah. And he did another one later quite recently called Anon with Clive Owen I think it was a streaming one and uh, it's only a few years old very similar sorts of ideas about the state mm. and its role and privacy and who you are really and all that sort of stuff it's a good film mm. uh, we've also got early film roles for a number of uh, stars, uh, people that are quite famous now in America. Blair Underwood, uh, Maya Rudolph, as Tony Shalhoub was also mentioned, Elias Coutius, who's now in the Chicago films, and one other actress that we're quite familiar with from Discovery. Yeah. Did Jane, you spot her? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm going to do a bit of one-upmanship on you in a minute, though. Yeah, Jane Brooke, you're talking about, yeah, Admiral yeah. Cornwell. Yeah. John, do you know who she was? Yeah, Admiral Cornwell. Well, yeah. <laughs> Right. Right. Okay. So sorry to be that guy, but did no, you spot the no. other Star Trek alumnus in it? No. You know the um, you know the school teacher who says that we can't we can't cover the insurance when they're trying when the um when Jane Brooke has, is trying yeah. to take the child to the to the school. That is Elizabeth Dennehy, who is Commander Shelby in the Next Generation episode Best of Both Worlds. Oh, there you go. She's, oh, yeah. So so Sucky, you failed in your information gathering I think yeah I got one up by uh, Steve yeah guess which, is one know, up sorry yeah sorry. but that's, that's the way it happens each episode we record guess it's always one up me mm. right so what can I say I yeah. always fail it's just terrible Steve, no, no, do, you want, no, no. do you want a job on this podcast at all do you want a job on the podcast wait yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. pack it in pack right. it in there's no need for that <laughs> That's how the DFB operates, Suki. Don't you worry about it. This is this is their no, We're the department for realising uh, people's potential. That's 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 the underlying line that we are. Yeah, but <laughs> the best way to do it is just to piss in a cup. 
<laughs> that way you know what sort of potential you've Words got. of wisdom by Sucky Cock. <laughs> so, uh, has anybody got any more for any more? Oh, hours we could go on cool. for, but no, it's been, it's been beautiful. All right. Well, uh, do we have any feedback, Sucky? Yes, we have one piece of feedback. All right. Guess what? I've lost it. Classic. What a pro. I'm not going to edit this out. Don't, don't, don't be like this. Make sure you make me look good. Where the hell is he? Wow. It's all staying in. This is all staying in. Oh, there you are. There you are. There's only one piece of feedback. Uh, in fact, there was two. Right, uh, Mr. Steve Davies said something, but I won't read that out. Right. <laughs> you don't want to listen to him, he's a nutter. <laughs> You're just so self-satisfied um, and smug. <laughs> there you go, he just failed his interview, John. You don't need him. Don't it's need fine. him. You've already it's got fine. one of them already here. You're irreplaceable, <laughs> Sucky. You're irreplaceable. Okay. We've, as I said, there's one piece of feedback. That's from Cliff. Uh, our Cliff, Shep's Deep Dive. And he says, I saw this in the cinema when I, when it came out. It wasn't in the cinema for long. I also had it on DVD. I liked it as I felt the start of filming was 1940s noir mixed with sci yeah. From the sets to the costumes, there's a classic look, cold and like a black and white movie. Until I read Wiki, I thought this was based on a Philip K. Dick story. It definitely had elements similar to his work. Acting is great as the characters have little emotion due to the society, and this has 1984 touches. There's Big Brother all over it, and for near future sci fi, you find some parts has been done before. He's sort of very wise. Wise comments. You should have got him on. He sounds much better. He's from Manchester. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, fair enough. Editor John here. I forgot to read out some feedback, so here it is Joby Hook. One of the all-time great sci-fi movies. No aliens, no spaceship, just great storytelling and a film subject that was ahead of its time but now feels very close. Great supporting cast too. Thank you, Joby. Karen Dolman says, brilliant film. That's it. Thank you very much, Karen. Michael David Jackson says, I've never seen this film before and so watched it on your recommendation. Very enjoyable. The old nature versus nurture debate and successive 10% inspiration and 90% perspiration springs to mind. But what is it with that scene when the doctor is commenting on the size of his dingling? I wish my parents had ordered be one that big. What the heck? Absolutely, Mikey. Thank you very much. And back to the pod. Are we, is he, I think, uh, I think Sheps will be on Take Your Seat shortly as well. Although that's a good question. What are we going to be recording in the next episode? Um, I haven't decided yet. Wow. One job, One job. Well, maybe maybe there was just this shining opportunity for this one-off special, maybe, that Suki, you grasped, grasped. So this is yet more proof that Steve should be your replacement on this part, but... John, John. No, right. no. Just What's now. that? It's a Groucho Marx to you, isn't it? I'm, 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 I'm going to be part of any organisation that would have me as a member. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this is we're very much Marx Brothers in in this in this podcast, I think. So, um, yeah. I've got a whole line of in the next uh, episode we will be recording whatever, and if you have any strong feelings on it and all that lot. But now it's something's <laughs> kind of ruined ruined it for me now. I do apologise, John. Please well, don't I, get rid I, of I me. I imagine. All right, and Please for, don't get for, rid of me. For the listeners, eventually we'll do another episode of this, and it will be about a film, and there'll be somebody. I will find you again. I will find you again, John. 
So, thank you, Steve. Pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And yet again, one another member of the Davis family comes on and, and knocks it out of the park on a podcast. Well, well you're very kind. Uh, my, my good lady wife, her and daughters, the new naval research uh, professor, the, will the, have... The, uh, the, the, the current wife, yes. Would have done a much superior job. I hope I could merely have been a placeholder see, for her see. next visit. A little bit much, a little bit much there. It's like, she's not going to, no. So thank you for joining us, and that has been our pod. So from Sucky Steve and myself, it is goodbye. Bye! Bye.